Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's bi-weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map editor Eric Sandler. This is the show where I have a conversation with someone in the food world I think you will want to hear from. He is the chef of Little's Oyster Bar, one of the best new restaurants to open in Houston in 2023. Jason Reisick, welcome to the show. How are you? Doing really well. Yourself? I'm doing great. Thanks for doing this. Yeah. You know, whenever we have these conversations, whenever I, I have someone on for the first time, I, I always like to hear about the beginning of their career. So so start by telling me a little bit about kind of how you became interested in the world of professional cooking and, and how you wound up working as a chef. All right. Well, um, while I was uh, just trying to find ways to earn my own money as a teenager, working in different um different avenues that generally revolved around some form of hospitality or construction. Um, I uh, found that I really enjoyed and appreciated uh, the idea of a craft driven career. And um, while I was going to college, I started working uh, at a restaurant in San Diego and decided to take a little break from school and I'm still on that break. (laughs) Um, And uh, what I, what I found was uh, the most, um, the, the people I looked, uh, up to the most in the restaurants were the chefs um, for a lot of different reasons. But I also found that uh, the restaurants that were driven by a chef in operations and focus and quality just were very, um, very much more what I was interested in, where the, the questions were always on how do we maintain, maintain quality, but still run a business. And, 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 you know, the big thing was if I was going to jump and make this as a, a career, I wanted to be one of the chefs who, paid their bills by what I made and produced. And so even though I've worked in resorts and hotels and, and different uh, aspects of uh, the kitchen world, um, getting to a point where I could be in charge, it was very important to me to, to be in a, a position where as I ran a restaurant, uh, it was the food that I created and, and had cooks coming up with uh, to you know make consistently over and over again. That was my uh, source of income. That's pretty much where I, I found myself leaning and then just, tried to find every single opportunity I could to get there. Yeah. I mean, I, I know you came to Houston after a pretty lengthy stint in San Francisco. So, you know, what were maybe one or two of the places you worked in San Francisco that kind of shaped you, that kind of put you on this path to, to where Pappas thought you were the right fit for, for Little's Oyster Bar? Well, I, I would definitely say Water Bar and Fairlawn really um, slingshotted me into a seafood direction that I hadn't anticipated in my 20s, um, I guess because I grew up in a seafood town, getting into restaurants that were not seafood was more fascinating to me. So I jumped around in San Diego and L.A. to, you know, I called it logging flight hours. I was constantly working or stodging or, you know, finding new avenues to, to learn about stuff. But I got to San Francisco and, and stodged at Water Bar and saw their seafood program in their kitchen. And it was like a flood of childhood memories from everything that I fell in love with growing up and um, made me realize um how important it was to me to be able to use everything that I built towards this career to focus on sustainability and leaving the uh, ocean in a better place. And as I climbed the ranks of Water Bar, um, the chef owner, Mark Franz of Fairlawn and Water Bar, gave me the opportunity to go take over Fairlawn and try something at a little bit higher level. And uh, working w- under his tutelage, um, I really just enjoyed what I had the capacity to do where before I was asking for, you know, can I do this or can I do that? And Instead, I was encouraged to really get out on my own and make the connections and see what I could do to support local fisheries and fishermen and oyster farms. And um, and so, you know, Fairlawn was like a dream come true. That was a, an incredible spot. 
So, uh, you know, that, that in San Francisco, those would be the two places that really stood out for me. You talked about kind of getting in touch with ingredients and learning more about them. I, I know you developed a specific interest for, for caviar. So, so maybe just expand on that a little bit and kind of how, of all of, of all of the things you could have become sort of fascinated by, how did, how did you get into caviar? Well, you know, I, uh, I was cooking, um, one night at Fairlawn, I put a, a post-caviar production sturgeon entree on, and I'm always trying to find different ways to manipulate um, food that you maybe haven't seen, but still with a comfortable approach. And um, the thing about sturgeon is it tends to be kind of like the consistency of like a pork loin. It's firm, it's meaty. And I wanted to be able to have the ability to treat it um, in a way that made it come out like a, a different piece of fish than it was. So I very slowly poached it in clarified butter and put it on the, the spring set and uh, much to my surprise, having no idea that I had someone in the dining room in the caviar world, Deborah Keen, owns the caviar company that I work with, said, you know, the service, hey, this woman says that she's a, as a caviar company and she's never had a piece of sturgeon like this before and she wants to ask you about it. And I love talking to guests and telling them my thought process and my intentions. And so I went and talked to her and found out that she had this amazing caviar company and uh, she invited me out to try caviar. And it was obvious immediately uh once i got there that she knew far beyond more about caviar than anyone had ever met in my entire career let alone in the last few years being in san francisco and um as my interest was peaked and i started working with her and she came and did classes and i was learning more and more she uh took a liking to me i guess and kind of took me under a wing and was allowing me when i was a 30 year old to come out and make caviar with these incredible chefs from san francisco like matt from sbqr and Peter from Plumed Horse and the crew from Quav from back in the day and uh, the Atelier Crane crew. And um, and so to get to be this young chef amongst all these older legends and, and get to see and, and, and be a part of it, um, I just stayed focused so I didn't screw up and embarrass myself and uh, <laughs> kind of got lucky with my first run. Uh, my caviar came out incredible. Uh, I was excited but surprised and didn't really know any different. And she told me that, you know, my focus and my cleanliness and everything while I was there was really what put me into a, to a position to have uh, caviar at that level of, of cleanliness and, and balance with tasting to match the salinity. And so then the next year, she bought the sturgeon farm that we had gotten the sturgeon from and invited some of us out to camp on the farm, do biopsy, pick our own fish. And the um, infatuation just built from there. I mean, there's nothing like getting in a tank with these giant somewhat slow moving when they're calm fish and uh, actually be, you know, tasting the row out of them while they're alive and then tagging them for myself. And then going back to make caviar and, uh, you know, saying, Hey, can I do it earliest on this day? I got to go back and run a service. I know these guys got chefs to do it for them, but I'm expediting tonight, you know? And, uh, and then year after year, I, I was invited back and came back and sold more caviar and made more. And, and again, you know, it was always that intention of approachability for an expensive ingredient how can i move this caviar now that i have so much that i've made it and um i just slowly more and more built uh the caviar program that we had and had approachable ways for people to come in and have it and um before i knew it i was one of the top three buyers of caviar um through her company in the city from what she'd been telling me which was a big deal going head to head with these mission star restaurants you know and i was just somebody who was having a good time trying to make the best seafood i could and then it moved more into the teaching role where I built enough knowledge to get to share it and teach it and explain it and um, really bring people through what it meant to, to be able to take a product and really take them to where that product was from. And so my story, my description of the Sacramento Delta where this fish is native to and, and realizing that our caviar production was, you know, in, in 
in the realm of what we're trying to do for the future of, of the waters was keeping this fish from being extinct and on the endangered species list. Uh, it's almost kind of like caviar picked me more than anything because there were so many different obsessions that I've had with seafood and still do. Um, but uh, yeah, now it's like caviar is becoming more popular and it's become a little niche thing and um, it's not something that I've wanted to let go of. So I stick with uh, my caviar mentor, uh, Deborah Keene, and, and year after year, we're back there making caviar. So you had this run in, in San Francisco. How did you how did you wind up in Houston? What made that seem like the next step for you? Well, it was interesting. I was uh, I had finally moved back home, which was a goal of mine. I'm, I'm from the central coast of California, beautiful little seafood town. And um, I started consulting and, and I was a, a restaurant operations advisor for uh, the SBDC out there. And having all these fun little jobs, trying to just land consulting and get my own thing going. And uh, this headhunter who had eaten at Farallon years ago, she hit me up year to year with opportunities and said, yeah, there's this group opening a seafood restaurant. I think you'd be perfect for it. You know, and I said, oh, thanks, but no thanks. You know, I finally just got home. And then it was time and time again, you know, you got to check this out. I really like these guys. I worked with this guy, Michael Velarde in Chicago, way, way back. He's a great guy. Okay. And so I said, I hopped on a phone call and I told him, I said, you know, I, I don't know anything about you guys, but I do know with the cost of restaurants, I, I, don't, I wouldn't want to waste your time and money by flying out there when I'm not going to take the job. And they kind of laughed and Clearly, I had no idea who Papa's was or the power or money they had. And they're like, you should come check us out. You should come out and do a tasting. And so my chef friends, I'm telling them about this. And they're like, dude, just take the free ship to, trip to Houston. You've never been. You'll probably like it more than you realize. So I sent them a menu to do a tasting. And I hopped on a plane and um, came out and uh, met a couple of the R&D chefs. They showed me around Houston, took me to restaurants, showed me what the group had as far as their seafood program and, um, and then Steakhouse One and just all these little things that I was so impressed by, you know, the, the perfection and the fabrication and the cleanliness of the restaurants, the organization, how happy everybody was that worked for their groups. People had worked on group for over 20 or 30 years and uh, four and fought for in the Bay that just like seemed like was never going to happen. This group had. So there, after I did the tasting, um, I was, I think, I believe they told me it was a, one of a few chefs who'd done a tasting for this. They called and asked if I wanted the job and I was trying to land it as a consulting job. And we went back and forth. And uh, finally I realized, you know, working with these group uh, people in this group and what they stand for and the, you know, not having to scramble and, and not having to walk into disasters all the time. It seemed like it was too good to pass up. And uh, I was at a point in my life where it was a great time for me to take a jump. And I thought, you know what, why not? I, I know seafood restaurants and I like it and it's a whole new coastline to learn. So I called up and we talked about uh, the opportunities that the group had. And so step one was Little's Oyster Bar and here I am. Couldn't be happier. Yeah, I I do think it's it's so interesting that that they wanted a chef in the kitchen because yeah, you know, if you think about even the even the steakhouse, right? Like, I don't know who the chef is, the 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 head chef of either either location of the steakhouse, even though you know it's so well thought of and and so well respected as a as a dining destination. You know, they're they're relatively anonymous in the in the kitchen. The the spotlight is on the the sommeliers for the most part. So you know, for this seafood restaurant that they wanted, you know, not just a chef with your experience, but someone that they could kind of market around and, and feature, I, I thought was, I thought was an interesting direction, like a new direction for them. So, so maybe, maybe just say a little bit more about what it's been like bringing your perspective and your experiences, but, but also kind of learning the, the Pappas way of doing things and, and collaborating with them on, on the menu for Littles. Yeah. Um, you know, I, 
I think that, uh, as we've all agreed, my bosses and, and myself and, and others that are working with this uh, program for PAPAs, there's been a lot of give and take and a lot of back and forth and, and a fair amount of frustrations on both sides, you know, things that we said we were going to do versus not doing them or how we had to balance. And ultimately, I think uh, for me personally, I, I think that because I'm at uh, the maturity level that I'm at now in my career, I can handle it better than I could have 10 years ago. But also I have a large level of respect and appreciation for a group that focuses on doing it right. And so as I came in and we, we figured it out, you know, first step was getting this menu together and then seeing for them what it was like with everything they're good at controlling with numbers. Like, well, what, what is this when the chef just decides to change the menu and reprint it? And there, that was where, uh, you know, we, we hit some, some walls and had some conversations about what was and wasn't going to be, you know, uh, appropriate for this space to, to fit in with what Papa's does. And, my respect for it is I can understand the operations and I wanted to get behind it and learn it so I could fully integrate what I wanted to do with them and what they already have, which is successfully running restaurants. And so as we went through uh, the, the probably hardest stage of the last like seven or eight months was I had five to six years of kitchen management under PAPA's certifications to, to learn, to really understand how these concepts work. And uh, the, the helpful part is, you know, this group has a research and development team that oversees audits for all the restaurants. And so you have a team of chefs who's there to help you through, give, you know, um, a little perspective and understanding and, and, you know, an ear when you're a little frustrated and confused, but also you know, remind you of the, the opportunity you have with them for that. And, um, and now that, uh, you know, I've gotten through all that, it's kind of like, when you're surfing and you swim past the waves and you get past all the break and you can finally take a, a break and watch all those waves and say, okay, now as I see these roll in, I, I watch every wave as an opportunity. And so now the opportunity that we have is we've, we've discussed how we're going to do the menu updates with a little bit more structure and still allow me to get something in and feature it. It doesn't necessarily have to go to print, but that way we can manage the costs, uh, you know, for the, the controls and, and make sure that we are running a successful restaurant here, but still at the high level where, the, the food is, is my own. And, um, and I will say also, just to be fair, as much as this food is my own, it would be uh, doing a disservice to all the help that I've gotten from the R&D chefs in uh, what we call translating a Californian to Houston. So <laughs> there's a lot of, uh, yeah, that might be a little too California for here. Let's, 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 let's revisit this and let's talk about it, you know, and, and, uh, and in doing so, you know, I, I found, and I think I said it to you the first time I got to meet you, the menu that I thought I was going to do turned into a menu that felt more like I was cooking for family and friends with this shared plate idea where the quality's there, but it's not stuffy. You know, it's, it's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be playful. It's supposed to be enjoyed, but we're still executing at the highest level we possibly can. And so now that we've kind of come to that point um, with everything they brought in to, to really give me as much power as I can, uh, we've got a lot of exciting things on the horizon between wine, wine dinners, collaborations, um, more menu changes um, that are structured seasonally, but, you know, we're looking at like six major changes a year, especially now that I realize that the two seasons in Texas are too hot and too cold. So, um, <laughs> you know, that, yes, you're, that you're learning. Me, yeah, I'm, I'm getting some perspective on it. You know, produce for me was how we lived in California for seasons. And here I find more seasonality in the seafood and the produce is a little bit more structured and even working with these farms and seeing the farmers projections on their, um, sheets for the year it's really allowed me to say okay so what i'm used to feeling in my bones as to where i'm going to change a menu or take it or what reminds me of the spring or the fall or the, the summer now i have a little bit more opportunity to expand on that and really focus on 
what fish, what crustacean, what bivalves I want to be working into the program. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's kind of like, uh, knowing the Pacific and coming out here, it's like landing on an alien planet and there's all these similarities, but there's all this stuff that's new. So I, I try to use what I know from there to help myself gain the, the golf knowledge. And they really helped me as well with, um, getting us into the, uh, they put me, uh, um, into a position to be on the future leaders class of 2024 for the national fisheries Institute. And I made it in. So I'll be in Boston in two weeks for the introduction, but that kind of, um, opportunity to slingshot me into the national fishery Institute world and really see what's going on on a vast scale nationally and be a part of it. Um, has made me really excited for what I'll be able to do with the uh, growing knowledge basis here, not just in the Gulf, but along, uh, you know, all the way up and down the Atlantic coastline. So I'll have, built knowledge from three coastlines of this of the country to to really be able to showcase first and foremost most of what comes out of the gulf but then slowly creep along the coastlines and share uh that experience as well yeah are there maybe one or two fish that you've you've sort of learned to love in the gulf that you didn't have as much experience with when you were in california absolutely um so you know i and i, I say it all the time when people come in what's you know what's your favorite and it's hard for me to really pick but I don't think I ever uh, had yellow edge grouper until I'd come out here. I had grouper. I had a red coastal grouper. Let, let, me, let me just say, if you had not said, if you had not said grouper, I was going to be like completely baffled. So I'm, I'm glad you said grouper. Talk, talk a little bit more about that, that fish. Cause I, that is my personal favorite uh, <laughs> fish on the menu. Yeah. You know, the, the yellow edge grouper, it's just, it's, it's such a beautiful fish. And uh, I know my, my, um, counterparts here uh you know from their steakhouse background kind of cringe when i use the term voluptuous but it's just so like curvy and seductive and the texture is so fantastic and it takes on flavors so well without being hidden um i really feel like it is just like like if you want a really just like perfect entree fish here for a date i can't think of something better to really uh, allow you to to go down that that road and um so yeah the yellow edge grouper uh, has just been a phenomenal fish to get to work with, something I really enjoy. Um, and as much as I've had fun playing with different cuts and different ways to prepare it, um, sticking to the comfort of, you know, uh, for our guests of what we have. I mean, we, we changed the LH Grouper set one time, and then the original set was actually made for the winter. So we changed it back for winter, and it was incredible how torn people were between the two. And for me, it, it wasn't the sets. It's just that it's the grouper. You know, it's just that, that yellow edge grouper is just such a beautiful fish. So... Um, that's definitely been one that I, I've really enjoyed working with here and, and really like to be able to showcase and, and, and have be a, a star of the show here. Um, the other one, you know, it, it's funny. Uh, what it stands for more are the principles. And so I really like leaning into it quite a bit because of what it is. And it's the fish that I eat the most often here is the the farmed Texas redfish um, from down in Aplacius. I mean, it's just to have like a clean set, no dairy, such a lean fish that takes on flavors to be able to incorporate some of the uh, oceanic flavors that I've gotten from, you know, the wild black drum, I've never had wild redfish, um, but to, to try to, you know, imagine what that's like and what it reminds me of from home. It reminds me more of the fish that I ate growing up. And, uh, and so because of that comfort level, it's just something that, you know, I really enjoy and, and to be able to do it, you know, <laughs> foe on the half shell with the crisp skin. Cause I love, you know, taking the scales off a of fish and have a nice piece of crisp skin on a nice elegant filet. That one's also been just, such a, a wonderful favorite and a great way to support such a sustainable farm for the United States. You know, uh, so those are the two fish that really stand out for me. I've, I've had fun with the American red snapper. I think it's, it's great. You know, I'm looking into, uh, you know, all the ways I'll be able to do it besides just chicken fried, you know, as a, that was a 
something I didn't expect to get stuck on a menu. I've never had a fried fish entree on a menu before. So that was a, a little bit interesting, but, um, but really there's been so much uh, cool stuff to get to work with. Definitely the two standards fish wise for me are the, the yellow edge grouper and the, the Texas redfish. Well, yeah, I, I feel like that, that fried snapper is like the one kind of nod to when it was little Pappas, right? Like there, you know, cause I used to go there for fried catfish and fried shrimp and fried oysters and oysters on the half shell and, and really none of that legacy is preserved, right? All of those dishes are gone. And if you want them, you can go to Papa Doe or, or one of the other, the company's other seafood restaurants. But, but there's that one, that one sort of nod to the history is, is that fried snapper. So, you know, I, in, in some ways it, it's, it's like such an easy go-to and, and it's so delicious, especially with those uh, truffle mashed potatoes you snuck onto the menu a couple months ago, but you know, I, I, I do sort of understand you sort of feeling a little bit conflicted about it. Yeah. And, and at first I was, but now it has its place. And uh, you know, the, the way that I came with that, the intention was when I was told that I needed to have a fried entree on, there's a few things I wanted to hit with that. And one was I wanted something to be Southern, but I also didn't want it to be something that I'd seen anywhere else. And um, one of the like go-to favorite classics from the old Papa's restaurants was their chicken fried steak. And so as I was going through different ways to fry fish and checking out different fish to fry and, and what it was going to be, I thought I'd try a chicken fried snapper. And the first bite I had, I was like, well, of course this is good. But when I brought it out to the, the team, not just the chef team, but the beverage team as well, they're like, wow, like it looked like fried chicken tenders and it tastes like snapper. And, you know, we're like, this is, this is a surprise to all of us. And so, um, you know, that nod to the old Papa's seafood house and, and to, strawberry patch and circus circus you know all of those were thoughts again with that intention to bring something that was able to kind of give that comfort that uh that i think does actually give a good balance to the menu now that now that it's been on all right so i I have to shift gears just a little bit i mean you you opened in in what may i think and and you know the restaurant took off and people were really excited about it and then in september the chronicle said you were the not just not just the best new restaurant to open this year but the best restaurant in the whole city tell me a little bit about about what that was like in terms of people's perception and, and what that did for the restaurant. Well, it, it's interesting. It helped out for a little bit and then it tapered off pretty quick and we've had our ebbs and flows with, um, you know, uh, the, the business here. I think it's a, in some ways it's a tough place cause who wants to go down Sh- uh, Shepherd or West Alabama, you know, <laughs> between four and five o'clock. So we always have a late push. Um, it was really nice, you know, just to have to support a group that hasn't had an accolade like that. For myself to never receive an accolade like that um but, but for our team to have worked so hard to try to break the mold of what this restaurant group was and and that achievement you know it, it was is very humbling in this city um and, and we we're all very grateful for it and uh you know I, I came in the door dancing and gave my gm a hug and we were all clapping and so ecstatic about it and i took a picture with my cooks and my dishwashers and you know it's just like the whole team and the next day we sat down and like what's next what, what are we gonna do to be better than this you know what's next on the horizon how do we push for the potential for accolades and nominations that are outside of this you know and and never stopped and, and really tried to discuss what was next you know and, and of course with the the papa's restaurant balance is like okay so we've been underhanding these pitches to you now it's time to open for a six day find some more staff keep up with the consistency and also realize that you know papa's just got a pretty big name on their their restaurants we we have a lot to compete with to keep up with it now and, and my perspective that I shared with our team and, and it always has been is 
if you become a good restaurant, you were a good restaurant. You've always been be getting better to be a great restaurant. So it's been the constant, you know, motivation. Now we, we want number one again, we can't leave the top 10. What are we going to do? You know, what's, what's our goal? Cause before the goal wasn't accolades. It was just being as perfect as we possibly could. And, and then as some, you know, some things we were hoped for uh, didn't happen. We we're like, okay, well, that just means that it's more opportunity for us to do better this next year. And let's think about what it is and let's look at our weaknesses and try to, you know, clean them up and let's take our, take our strengths and really flex our muscles and make them stronger. And, uh, and I also say too, you know, I, I couldn't be happier to be a part of this and have an accolade like that in a city that's just so incredible. The people of Houston are so nice and so polite and I feel so at home here. I feel so good to get to have a restaurant like this with this, you know, again, that, that accolade, um, be a part of being here and being so new. Well, you, you said we have to decide what's next. So, I mean, you, you can't say that. And then me not ask you, Jason, what's next? I mean, what, what are your goals as you kind of head into the, the end of your first year and, and start thinking about year two? Well, um, I think what, what probably scares my bosses the most is uh, telling them that, uh, you know, as much as we have some winners on the menu, I think part of it is replacing some winners on the menu with some new winners, you know, um, I don't want people to come here after it's been a year and they're like, oh, they have the same stuff. So even though these last six months for me have been a little bit trying to, you know, to not have the changes, um, it was all with the understanding and anticipation of having more changes this year. So um, we have our uh, six major changes planned out that are all based on what I've come to, to learn. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to see if we can get a wine dinner together for April, um, somewhere where we can, uh, you know, also show uh, the strength that we have in our wine program with this group. Um, like I said, working on doing some chef collaborations. And then, uh, you know, a big part of this for me will be um, using the NFI and my future leaders class and the knowledge I'll gain as a, another way to really put the word out about how important sustainability and seafood is. And it's not just like a kitschy thing and it's not just like an environmentalist thing. Like if you think about it from the business perspective for all seafood restaurants, we're focused on sustainability so that we can maintain a good quality of product coming in for, you know, years and years to come. So I, I want to really use this platform as we're, we're changing and, and molding to tell those stories and share those intentions and also work my, my two uh, chefs that are here with me at Littles into the program as well. So it's, it's not just me, it's us, you know, my, my chef de cuisine started for me 12 years ago as an oyster shucker. And he, he was a chef de cuisine at um, restaurants for me in the past and uh, having him, really really take the the reins and run and 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 help run this restaurant so that i can focus on you know updating the menu and, and learning things and going on fishing trips uh, has been great and then my executive sous chef who grew up with a dad who was a seafood chef in charleston i mean talk about getting lucky having him fall into my lap you know the three of us together working on what we can do is really exciting and what makes me most um excited about this year with not just little's oyster bar but papa's is with them here and the focus with this being, you know, my main project, it's also allowing me the opportunity to sit on that team that I, I adore, this R&D team for Papa's and, and help with Yaya Mary's and um, help with little Papacitos and help with emerging concepts and new projects and say, hey, you know, well, now that we've seen what we can do here, what can we do for some of our other restaurants? How can I work with the team of chefs that works on at Papado to maybe put something on that's a little more updated and, and, and working with this while they're already updating and creating all these amazing things. So those are what, what I have on the horizon that I'm excited about. Well, I mean, obviously I have to ask, I mean, this, this company doesn't just open one location of anything. Even the steakhouse has, has three locations and certainly there's so many uh, Papa Do's and Papacitos. I mean, 
would you like there? I mean, obviously it's not up to you strictly, but would you like to see a second Little's Oyster Bar uh, either in another part of Houston or, or somewhere else in Texas? Well, uh, they're probably going to kick me for this one, but no. I, I think that this being a boutique one-off as its own thing for me resonates more with the, the restaurant groups that I grew up with that, that did focus on one having its own identity. And I think that there's you know so much to be said for concept-driven restaurants like there are in this group, but I can see us opening a, another seafood restaurant in Houston or somewhere else, maybe with more of a focus on fine dining. Uh, whereas for me, this restaurant, as nice as it is, is more on the casual side. Um, and I would love the opportunity to, to be able to do more and, and have things be a little bit more, you know, um, what I lean into from my background. Whereas I, I do feel like I, I was a, a team member on this that fit the piece of the puzzle to help get it together. So do I think we'll see more Little's Oyster Bars? I don't know. I do think this company is going to lean into what we've accomplished here. And you're going to see more oyster bar and caviar driven concepts with chefs that are changing menus and updating. And, and we're already getting to see some of those things come together. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm kind of hoping that Little's is its own thing. And, and that's the identity that it keeps is, you know, we called it Little's because it was the Little Papa Seafood House and Little's was the short name for it. And I, I think that's that's special to this location solely. No, I, I mean, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I you know, I it's hard to imagine some of the some of the things you're doing, right? It's hard to imagine the caviar service or the lobster gnocchi like migrating to a Papa Do menu. So then you got to start thinking about, well, we, we, we do have the success and, and I mean, we haven't even talked about the incredible uh, cocktail and wine program that, that you guys do, but I mean, clearly it resonates with people. So finding a way to, to replicate that, whether it's a different name or a slightly different focus, but you know, I'm, I'm sure that our, our friends in, in Austin and Dallas are looking at us uh, very enviously right now. Yeah, I definitely would say uh, for me, I, I hope this isn't my last fun seafood project for this group. And I don't think it will be. I, I think uh, some of the things that they kind of, you know, wink and smile in the conversations on the, the higher ups with what they have planned without telling me what it is. I, I would be surprised if there wasn't, you know, something in the works or at least the conversations of, well, this is working here. Where else can we do it? Is it Dallas? Is it Austin? Is it San Antonio? Or one of the other cities we're in, you know, um, I know the group uh, is constantly looking at what they can do in other places uh, to hit those markets. So um, really whatever helps me get to share my story with seafood, I, I, I'm a bit happy to be a part of with them. All right. Well, Jason, I do have to say that does bring me to the end of my questions. Is there anything I haven't asked you about that you would like to discuss? No, not that I can really think of. I feel like we hit a, a good amount of it. Um, no, I'm, I'm really grateful that you uh, had me on the, the podcast here and um I'm also happy you've come in to eat as many times as you had. It's been a pleasure to cook for you every time. And I look forward to having you back so you can see some of the cool new stuff we're doing come March 20th. Well, thank you. I mean, it's it it's a funny sort of thing because, you know, I I went for the first time with Felice to talk about it on the show. And I posted those pictures and my mother immediately sent me a message and said, I want to go there. So I went there with mom and I posted those pictures and friends immediately got in touch and said, I want to go there. So I went back <laughs> and and you know, we did our, our date night draft episode a few weeks ago and, and Littles came up again. You know, I, I took you as my entree selection just cause I, cause I love the grouper and the, the lobster gnocchi and, and all the, the sides and everything. So yeah, you know, I've, I've really enjoyed the restaurant and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm delighted it's, it's here and that it's been so well received, but you know, before I let you go, we have to play the lightning round, five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind 
Jason Rizek, what is your favorite ingredient? Salt. What is the first band you ever saw in concert? Oh, uh, the Steve Miller band. What is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. Okay. It's rare that this is even available, but a double-decker Supreme from Taco Bell with a side of nacho cheese to dip in. Guilty pleasure since college. <laughs> uh, I usually ask Houstonians who their favorite Houston sports figure is, but uh, I'll just ask you who your favorite sports figure is, past or present. Um, that's not a quick one. I have so many. Uh, Roberto Clemente. That's a, great, that's a great answer. All right. And then finally, what is the new Houston restaurant you haven't been to yet, but you are dying to try? Um, I guess Katami. Absolutely. Yes. You should, you should go to Katami. You should go see Hori. All right, Jason, give us the, the website for Little's Oyster Bar and the social media and anything else you want to plug. Okay. Uh, I think it's littlesoysterbar.com, Little's Oyster Bar social media for um, Instagram. And yeah, that's it. Hopefully we'll see you all here at the restaurant. Jason, thanks so much. Thank you very much. Nice to talk to you. That's it for today's show. Thank you for listening. Keep it locked on Culture Map for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.